We're going to um, continue our series um, on the kingdom um, this morning. Uh, um, probably my favorite thing to talk about, so um, I'll try not to talk forever on it. Um, but it, it's under the, under the theme, the overall theme of advance. And uh, last week I pivoted, if you like, you know, after a few weeks of talking more about our general theme of advance into this topic of the kingdom of God. And uh, our sense being that as we grasp hold of this karyos moment, this moment of opportunity that we do feel in front of us um, after a unique moment that we're living through, we really feel like this karyos moment is at play and is at work for us. And we need to make sure that what we're talking about and how we talk about it is rooted in the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And I guess there's a concern in my heart and in the leadership's heart at times for how the topic of the kingdom of God has been distorted. Um, it gets connected, the kingdom of God gets connected to different forms of ideologies and all sorts of isms, right? And, uh, and what you kind of find is when the kingdom and the, uh, the, the message that Jesus is Lord gets attached to some form of ism, nationalism, progressivism, conservatism, you know, liberalism, when it gets connected to those, it just gets, it ends up getting weird, basically, it ends up getting away from the teachings of Jesus. And so it's the apostle, and in the early church, it was the apostle's role, it's the local leadership church's role, this is what Paul said to Timothy, to keep the church true to the teachings of Jesus, and true to the doctrine of the scriptures, and true to the way of Jesus that doesn't get co-opted or distorted with our own ideologies and the ways that we think it should work and get um, sort of colored by our own biases. And so when we say this phrase, seek first the kingdom of God, this well-known phrase, we want to make sure we know what we're talking about. We're not just singing a nice little tune that we heard in Sunday school, but we're actually understanding what it really means to seek first the king and his kingdom. Someone once said this great phrase, very, very challenging when you think about it. It's that the local church will always perform the gospel it proclaims, right? The local church will always perform the gospel it proclaims. In other words, if you preach a gospel that is mixed up with other kind of stuff, that is mixed up with some of our own kingdom kind of stuff, that is mixed up with us over and above other people or people from another tribe or people from another religion or any of those things, if you preach that you end up performing it. And we want to be people who walk in the way of the king. And so we want to make sure that we're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that's not just the gospel of individual salvation. That's part of it. What we want to preach is the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is the gospel that Jesus came preaching, as we'll see this morning. And so last week, this first part's a little bit of a recap. Last week, we looked at this idea of the big overview story of God, that from the beginning, God has always wanted heaven and earth to overlap and interlock. And God has always wanted his loving rule and reign to be on the earth, always, from the very start. And so we define the kingdom of God as the loving reign and rule of God. If you want a really simple definition, the kingdom of God is the loving reign and rule of God, and it's the place of God's activity. It, you could say it's where there's a bunch of people who have said yes to Jesus, and his kingdom comes on the earth. So wherever we see the activity of God on the earth, the loving rule and reign, that's what we call the kingdom of God. And so last week, as I said, what we tried to do was show you how from the very beginning, that's always been God's intention. You remember this quote I used from Greg Beale? It says, Adam's purpose in the first garden was to expand its boundaries until it circumscribed the whole earth. 
so that the earth would be completely filled with God's glorious presence. That Eden had boundaries, physical boundaries, and the mandate upon humanity was to extend the loving rule and reign of God in Eden to the ends of the earth. And um, that has always been God's intention. The thing that we have to realize, what happened when, when man and woman ate of the tree of the forbidden fruit and sin entered to the world, what actually happened is, basically, we started to serve our own kingdoms, right? We got onto the throne of our own hearts, and we wanted independence. We wanted to be like God. We were deceived by the evil one. We were deceived by the serpent, and we wanted to build our own, our, our own kingdoms. But what the Bible teaches is that God doesn't give up on his dream for the world, and he chooses individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the children of Israel, King David, all of the, he chooses people through which he still wants to reveal his dream for the world that heaven and earth would overlap and interlock. He basically wants them to marry together. That's, that's the longing of his heart. And so what we've discovered is that the main problem with Israel was that they ultimately failed to fulfill that project. They had some good moments, but for the most part, they didn't do that. And if we were there and alive, we probably wouldn't have either. But Jesus came as the fulfillment of the story of Israel. So he came to show the world what the true Israel was supposed to look like. He was the Israelite in whom there was no deceit. He was the true Israelite. He embodied all these promises of God because he was God in the flesh. And Jesus came and his best topic, or sorry, his favorite topic, the thing he talked about the most was this topic of the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus was actually saying here is, I'm not just coming to rescue individuals from an eternal damnation. That's part of it. But he's saying something much bigger. He's saying, I am coming to set up the kingdom of God to establish the loving reign and rule on the earth. And, um, and so he says this, the kingdom of God is at hand and it's coming on the earth. And so basically summarizing this, to date what we find, so if you were to like, this is like, you should read the whole Testament, right? All of it. But if I was just to say the summary of it at the end, it's basically saying that the God who wanted heaven and earth to always be joined and created image bearers, people in his own image, in order to help steward that, by the end of the Old Testament, what we come to realize is they can't do it on their own. They can't set up the kingdom of God on their own. They basically failed in doing it because they keep getting tempted and distracted to want to build their own kingdom. They keep wanting to build their own thing or to be... Um, to be deceived and, 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 and wooed by the temptations of the world and the other kingdoms of the world. And so Jesus has to come, and Jesus comes essentially saying, I am here to set this kingdom up, to, re, to reestablish this kingdom on the earth. The Gospels are telling us the story of how God is coming to be the king again of his people. Um, not to get off on a tangent here, but back, if you, know, if you know a little bit of the biblical story, you'll know that, that back in Samuel, the people said, we want our own king. And Samuel, who's a prophet at the time, he's like brokenhearted. He's like, no, 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 you don't want your own king. This was never supposed to be this way. Yahweh, God is your king. He's going to rule over you. And God has to say to Samuel, Samuel, you know, you're just going to have to let it go because they haven't rejected you. They've actually rejected me. And this is probably what's going to happen. They're going to set up their own kings. And if they follow me, it'll go well for them. But if they don't, it's probably not going to go well. And that's what the story of the Old Testament then begins to show us, that most of the kings don't. And Israel turns away from God. And so Jesus, the Gospels want to tell us that God is becoming, in Jesus, the king once again of his people. And so he starts to, Jesus comes to establish his rule and reign, the loving reign and rule of God on the earth. And he comes to say, 
In order to do that, I'm coming to oppose the uh, opposing kingdom. I'm coming to destroy the works of the opposing kingdoms, which we can summarize under the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to come and do something about those evil, destructive works in order that the rule and reign of God can be established on the earth. I'm inaugurating it, as we talked about last week, right? I'm, I'm getting it going. I'm going to give you the speech of what it looks like. I'm going to reveal the manifesto of the kingdom. And then one day, it's going to be fully consummated. And so um, we said last week that we wanted to look first and foremost at the kingdom manifesto. And that is the manifesto of the government of heaven. Like any other government would put out its manifesto when it's coming into power. This is, this is the Jesus manifesto, the kingdom manifesto. And it says, oh, go back one. Oh, yeah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say, this is it, today, today this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. So he's saying, today I'm setting this kingdom up. The inauguration of this kingdom is starting today. It's at hand. You can reach out and touch it. It's available. The loving rule and reign of God has come on the earth in the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so to summarize what that looked like, I read this this week and just had to include it in my notes because I thought it was brilliant. Um, the gospel of Jesus, the Nazarene, is a justice-bringing, slavery-crushing, illness-healing, debt-remitting, low-status-reversing, sin-cleansing, outsider-including, and truthing-to-power gospel. That is not brilliant. That is the manifesto. That's what it's all about. That's why we can stand here this morning after worship, minister to all of these things. Because that's what Jesus wants to do. That's why we want to see people saved, redeemed from their sins, but that's why we want to do something about poverty. That's why we want to raise people out of the valleys. That's why we want to speak truth to power. That's why we want to see people freed from their debts. Because this is what happens when the kingdom comes, right? And Jesus was saying, today it's being fulfilled. This was, this was good news. And, and what's really important to remember is the cross and the resurrection is not separate from Jesus' ministry. But the cross and the resurrection is the culmination of Jesus' kingdom manifesto. So... When Jesus is on the cross, he's revealing the glory of God. He's revealed that in his life. But he's revealed it even more fully on his death by showing us that this is what God really looks like. And, and when he rises from the... And, sorry, and when he's, so he's, when he's on the cross, he's showing us what God's really like. A God who, who will... A God of sacrificial love who will give up his own son for the sins of the world. But what he's also... What Jesus is doing on the cross... And this is really, really important that you get this, Right? What Jesus is doing in the cross, he is draining, he is draining evil of its power. So the worst of the kingdom of darkness was done on Jesus when he was on the cross. The worst that the opposing kingdoms could do were all done on Jesus on the cross. So when Jesus is on the cross and he is feeling in those three hours of darkness, so it's darkness all around, but you can only imagine the darkness that's sitting on Jesus that he's absorbing into his own body. And when he's on the cross and he goes those three words, it is finished, right? All that evil could ever do was done on Jesus on the cross and he drained evil of its power. 
right? That deserves an amen. Yeah, amen. Right? He took it all on himself, and when he rose from the dead, he conquered over it. And so the resurrection, as we said last week, completed the inauguration of God's kingdom. Something got started in the life of Jesus that culminated in his death so that you and me sitting here today, the same spirit that overcame all of this stuff, that overcame the kingdom of darkness, lives in us. It's in you. So that power is in you and in me to keep this kingdom message going to keep moving towards the day when Jesus wraps the whole thing up and fully lifts the trophy because he's already won the war. But there's still some battles that need to be fought and we're here to do them and to bring the, the, the message and the beauty of the kingdom to bear on the earth. This is why we are here. We get to join, I love what Eugene Peterson says, the resurrection parade. We, we're like behind Jesus. He's leading the resurrection parade. We're in behind him because this new creation project has already begun where God is making everything new. This is the manifesto of the kingdom. And so the manifesto of Jesus needs to be the manifesto of the church. And so each and every one of us, I'm not like it would be a great thing to do in the mornings, but literally when you go to work tomorrow, or wherever God has called you tomorrow, like you can travel in on your car and you, know, you can say with confidence, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Something new is happening. Something new can happen. You can carry that into the place where you work every day. And so if that is the manifesto, we want to think about how do we do that better? And so today we're going to look, just in the last 15 minutes or so, at the method and the message, okay? So the questions kind of remain, how, how do we get in on this kingdom? And how did Jesus go about demonstrating this kingdom? And so we're going to look at that today and next week. And so the first thing I want to look at is, what really was the message to... I don't know if you, if you can... If you, if, you, if, if you watch TV and the news when a time of... Um, you have to vote or whatever, and there's a new government coming into place, and people are kind of voting for whoever they want. And that particular party will roll out its manifesto, right? So it's usually a longer document. You'll go onto the website. You'll see the bullet points of the things that they stand for, and you will choose who you want to vote for, hopefully based on what they say they're going to deliver. But usually, you know, you see, like, it, it, it kind of summarized in a little catchphrase or a slogan. Sometimes you see it on a billboard. Sometimes you see it on the side of a bus. Sometimes you'll see it in a little letter that goes through your, comes through your letterbox. And, and it's summarized in, in a little slogan, yeah? Um, each political party will have theirs. Well, Jesus' message, so we've looked at the manifesto, look forward, but Jesus' message is, is really simple. The, the, the kind of slogan for it is this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus said over and over again. Now, we haven't mentioned the word repent yet, and it's important that we do, because it's a really important biblical word, and one in the 21st century kind of progressive culture that we live in that nobody really likes. But if we're going to be good Jesus followers, then we need to get over ourselves and get back to the Bible and get back to the words of the Bible and understand what they really, really meant. But the word repent is sort of like become a dirty word, but it shouldn't be, or a negative word. The word repent is a beautiful, rich, biblical word. And in the Greek, the word is metanoia, okay? And it literally means a kind of turning away. If I'm walking this way towards my own kingdom, I turn 180 degrees and walk in a different direction towards the kingdom of God. It's a change in your mindset. 
It's a change in your motives, and it's a change in your heart. It's not a shame word. It's not a word that's supposed to heap shame on you. It's an invitational word to draw you into a new kingdom by you doing something about it, you turning in the opposite direction. I like the way the Amplified Version puts it. It puts it like this. It says, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purposes for your life, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It means that Jesus is saying, if you would turn from your own kingdom, if you would stop getting distracted from the other kingdoms, and if you would turn towards following me in my kingdom, this is what Jesus is saying, literally heaven will make its home in your heart. Heaven will make its home in your heart if you can turn away from seeking your own kingdoms in order to receive the kingdom of God. This is a radical discipleship call. It calls us to leave everything. Jesus calling us to repent is literally saying, let go of every other love, every other idol, every other thing that is not your highest good and your greatest good and embrace the Jesus way. Let go of everything else that's not your highest good. And um, that's why it's such a difficult call because we have to get off the, pl the place of being in independent and in control of our lives all the time and wanting to control the destination and to get off the throne of our own hearts and say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart and the king of my life, and I want to pledge allegiance to you. And the, that word allegiance is really, really important because most of us have grown up in a culture where following Jesus meant saying a prayer, getting a ticket into heaven, and like hopefully do your best to live a half-decent life the rest of it and maybe try and tell a few other people. But it's so much deeper and richer than that. that that's, that's an important part of the center of it. But it's so much more than that. And I want to prove that to you because Jesus said, you see, that he was coming to proclaim the good news, right? The word gospel is, means literally good news. And so he said, I'm coming to proclaim the gospel of Alan Emerson's salvation. No, that, that's part of it. But the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming to proclaim good news about a new kingdom that's coming. Now, in the original context where Jesus lived, the word good news or gospel is, is the word evangelion, okay? Now, did I put that on? Yeah, evangelion is, uh, is where we get the word evangelism from. So when we talk about going out to tell about the good news, we'd say about going on doing evangelism or being evangelistic. And that's because the Greek word for good news is evangelion, right? The language that the Bible was written in. And so it was a military term, which literally meant that if you can imagine back in those days, days of the Roman Empire and other things like that, when there was like a war or a battle, like a soldier would have been sent running around the villages where this uh, big battle had taken place. And he would come with literally good news or good announcements, maybe an even better way to put it. And he would have literally, your king has come. The battle has been won. That's, that's what would have happened in those days. And so... When that happens, you have to like decide where you're going to pledge your loyalties because a new king is coming to town. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to run away and go to another king? Because you're going to have to because somewhere in the way the empires of that world look like, you have to pledge allegiance to your king. And so obviously Jesus was the king of a wholly different kingdom than those empires, but the principle was kind of the same in that Jesus wanted to ask us, 
not just to pray a prayer, but to give him our wholehearted allegiance. So when Jesus is saying, follow me, he's not saying, you know, just like say a prayer, get your eternal security sorted and then come to church every now and again. He's saying, no, be with me, follow me, join yourself with me and give me your wholehearted allegiance and let me be the king of your heart over and above every other loyalty, even the loyalty of your very own blood family. Which is why it's a call to radical discipleship. Because people, Jesus says, will hate you for this. <laughs> people will not like you for this. Because you are giving your, they want your allegiance. There are things in this country that want your allegiance. In our country, in Northern Ireland. There's things that want our allegiance more than Jesus. And what we have been called to as the people of God is to give Jesus, first and foremost, our wholehearted allegiance. That we serve Jesus and we serve the politics of the kingdom of Jesus. And we give ourselves to the ethics and the morality of the kingdom of Jesus. It's, it, it rips at parts of your heart that want to give themselves to other things. Yeah, and so that's why we have to continually repent, which is the other thing I want to say about repentance. It's an ongoing practice. It's a daily thing. Uh, we're all works in progress. But it's like, I love this quote. I heard it years ago. I don't know who said it, but I was nearly going to claim it as mine. But that would be um, not very nice. So often Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom, right? So I, I know I'm sort of, provoking and challenging today so if people have given their hearts to Jesus and genuinely asked the Lord into their heart of course they're forgiven of course the Lord in his mercy forgives them but often so many people just leave it at that and so they get forgiven but they don't really see the kingdom and so I I am so tempted by the other kingdoms of the world I am so tempted about my kingdom and the kingdom I want to build and, and the problem is we don't often see it because it's the water that we swim in and it's not necessarily really evil kingdom. It's just like sometimes greed and materialism and like wanting just to like sort our own lives out and make sure everything's nice and safe and secure and then we'll be fine. And it's actually another kingdom. It's got the characteristics of another kingdom. And it's not necessarily always really easy to get the answers to those, but it's only when I daily repent, when I put myself before Jesus and ask, ask him to like show me how I should make decisions about my future and about my money and about my family and about uh, you know, what I'm really living for and what ambition really looks like and what purpose really looks like. It's only when I continue to put that before Jesus that I get some kind of wisdom and then I can see the kingdom. Because the kingdom, I want, to be, I want us to be a church that's curious to see the kingdom. The kingdom of God's like a, like a mustard seed. But that's not like that in the world. The kingdom of God is like the big empire that you build. So like, how can it be like a mustard seed? Because that's the opposite. How, how are we ever going to see mustard seeds every day and go, oh, there's potential there and that could be the kingdom. The only way we're ever going to see that is if, we, is if we repent. If we create a community where we love one another enough to tell each other the truth, where we confess our sins to one another, where we get into the presence of God and just lay our hearts bare, where we become vulnerable enough to talk about our lives with one another in life group, wherever it might be, so pride doesn't seed itself into our hearts and we get distracted. It's only when we do that that we'll get to see the kingdom. And that's what God wants for us. It's a heart thing. This is what the Pharisees got wrong. They thought, we'll see the kingdom if we just do all these rules and show everybody how holy we are. And Jesus was going, no, no, no. You have to reach down below the laws, right into your heart, and like get to the very motives of why you're living and who you're living for. 
That's where you'll find the kingdom. And so we need to be people who, who repent. And as I say, let me repeat, because a load of us have spent all our lives in church just getting shame and guilt like preached us every week. And so when we hear the word repent, it just triggers us and we think all of a sudden I'm never going to be good enough, I'm not holy enough, da-da-da, right? That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about here is the invitation to walk the Jesus way by laying down your life and the kingdoms you're living for in order to fully enter into his. And the second thing, just for five minutes, I want to finish with this morning is the kingdom of God message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So we've got the manifesto, we've got the message, and now we just want to finish by looking at the method. And in the kingdom of God, the method of anything that's done for the kingdom of God, it's always relationship. It's always relationship. The kingdom message is all, it couldn't be anything else because that's who God is. God is an eternal family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of love, and he overflows with love into humanity so that through them he can reach the world. I have come to realize that in the economy of the kingdom, the distribution channels are always relationships, right? They're always kind of gospel partnerships. And you find in the church what happens in the church even, it becomes about transaction. So I've become nervous even when people just, people want you for your gift or want you for what they can give you, but don't want to like do the kind of longer, harder journey of, you know what, no, I'm going to come and be with you. I'm going to walk with you. We're going to be in relationship together because that's the Jesus way. And, and Jesus did this in two ways. He showed us that the kingdom method is relationship because he did it firstly with his father and then he did it with his friends. So Jesus was always doing the work of the father. I've got loads of verses I could quote here, but I'm not. I'll quote, I'll quote one of them on the screen. And first and foremost, he did it in relationship with the Father. This is, this is the message translation of Matthew 11. Just unpacks it beautifully. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. It's not just beautiful. Jesus is saying, all this that I'm about on the earth, this is a unique father-son operation. We're in it together. This is the Father's business I'm on. This is, this is the Father's business I'm on. Kingdom business is the Father's business. And it comes out of unique father and son intimacies. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. Right? So Jesus is almost saying, no one knows the son the way I do. Or no, sorry, no one knows me the way the father does, and no one knows the father the way I do. It's almost like he's made it exclusive. But then he doesn't make it exclusive. Because look at the next line but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. <laughs> so we can get up every morning and be like, what is Jesus and the Father having a chat about today? What are they excited about? What are they interested in in my place of work? How can I get in on what they're doing? Because this is who we are called to be, people in unique father-son intimacies. And so this is a challenge to our busyness, isn't it? This is a challenge to the lack of time we spend with Jesus and the Father. And like the thing that's so interesting about it and it's so countercultural about it, like, you know, we, we are brought up in a culture that wants us to go, right, if I can like just get three people around me, then I can build this thing to 12 people, and then I can build this thing to 70 people, and then I can have the crowds, and then I can be, 
I can be the one at the top of the tree and everybody's going to look at me. And Jesus, that's the kingdom of the world and that's what tempts our hearts. But Jesus was always walking, for the most part, he loved the crowds and he ministered to the crowds. But when he'd finished ministering to the crowds, he's always trying to get back to the one. He's actually walking in the opposite direction to get alone with the Father because he always wants to be about the Father's business. And so he did it with the Father and he did it with his friends or with his family. Jesus was walking with the Father in loving friendship, but that friendship with the Father overflowed and then he tried to like bring a people into a circle of the Father's love. And so Jesus and the Father had this circle of friendships the 12 disciples, obviously, at the center of that, but more than just that, Mary and Martha and Mary, his mother, and, and Lazarus and Nicodemus. He's trying to build this kingdom family. <laughs> and that's what the church is. So when Jesus came to establish his kingdom, what, what, what is really important for us as the church to grasp is it wasn't some kind of vague, floaty concept. It really looked like something. It looked like lives getting healed and touched. But, you know, just look, look. Like if you were to take a moment and just look around us, you probably don't have time, right? And I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if you look around here and you go on, you know, if I didn't go to church, I probably wouldn't know any of these people. I might not even necessarily have associated with these people or might not have found myself in the same family as these people. That's the way it's supposed to be because there's actually nothing like it on the earth. The church, when it's working right, intergenerational, different kind of economic social classes, different kind of cultures, different nationalities, all one in and around the person and the lordship of Jesus. This is the kingdom family because Jesus wanted the rule and reign of God, right? And the rule and reign of God looks like family because God is family. He wanted it rooted in a people who reflected none less than the love of the Trinity itself. What a high calling we have to love one another, to be in one another's lives, to look like a family that doesn't look like the way the world necessarily does family. Because it's not just a bunch of people that all look the same, think the same, sound the same. It's a bunch of different people, all uniquely, different parts of the body coming together to function as one. A king, a king without a people is no king at all, but a museum, and a figure in a museum. I like that quote. It looks like something. We, the king... One of the ways Jesus will, one of the ways if Jesus was in heaven and he was, I don't know, having, let's just think hypothetically, having to prove what the kingdom looked like, he would be pointing to his church. That's what it looks like. It looks like a people. And so I want to, I want to really encourage us to think and to be challenged by this message this morning about how we need to repent in order to see the kingdom and then how it will be reflected in our lives. I, I love, I've two, two more slides just to finish. The gospel is not simply our ticket to get out of earth and into heaven, but our ticket into a renewed community whose mission is to give expression to the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is what we are part of. And one of the best ways that that is, one of the best ways that that is modeled is or taught is in John chapter 15. And I'll not take time to read it because we're closing in on time here. But Jesus says, you know, my father is a gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. So there, there you have it all, right? He does it in relationship. The father, the gardener, Jesus, the vine, we, the branches. And so we, we kind of flow. We kind of flow in this love of the father and the son to bear what? To bear kingdom fruit. 
to bear fruit that looks like the kingdom of God in our lives. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is the family that Jesus has called us to. And you know, just to finish on a chat, on a, on a, <laughs> Jesus calls us to the kingdom family. That, that, is, that is our allegiance on the earth. After Jesus, it's the kingdom family. And there's a real challenge here part to our own where we do family in the, in the Western world. Because we like to build our own little kingdoms around our own little families to protect our own little families. And there's, there's good heartedness in that. But you see what happened was one day Jesus came. Jesus was out with people creating the kingdom family and his blood brothers and sisters came to him and said, Jesus, your tea's ready. You have to come and be with us. And Jesus said, sorry, these are my brothers and sisters. It's quite a strong challenge to us. And um, you know, so some people, what I hear sometimes in the ether is, well, we don't really need to go to church because we're just really going to prioritize our family. That is not the Bible. That is not what Jesus calls us to. That, that, that Jesus calls us to the family of God. The bloodlines blur in the kingdom of God. And that is a challenge. I feel the challenge of that, but it is a challenge. We are, we are to be onto one another. And it's a challenge to the way the Western world has kind of privatized its own faith and its own kind of family. And in this world that we're living in today, <laughs> the world needs a family. The world needs a family because their fam families are so broken and so dysfunctional that it needs a family to come home to. And so, last quote. Michael Bird. Very, very challenging. Jesus did not read from Isaiah, so the kingdom manifesto is not. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the affluent, affluent middle classes who want enough to... Sorry, let me start it again because it's really good. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the affluent middle classes Jesus did not read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the affluent middle classes who want enough religion to make them feel secure with God, but nothing too cumbersome that's going to unsettle their consumeristic and hyper-individual way of life. Whoa. That's like a, that's like a, that's like, hits you right between the eyes, that one, doesn't it? It's like, holy smoke, God, I may be able to a little bit of repenting to do. Not, not groveling, not feeling like God doesn't love me anymore. But just going, you know what, God, in the decisions I make about my life, how I steward my life, how I steward my finances, how I steward where I'm going, how I steward my purpose, how I steward my ambition, would you be the king of that? Would you be the king of my heart? I lay, I lay that down in order that you might come and be king. I know there's a challenge and a bit of a punch to the words today, but I can't apologize for it. It's the words of Jesus. And following Jesus was never supposed to be easy. But what I feel really encouraged by is being part of a church family who I know long for the king and long for the ways of the kingdom over and above the kingdoms that we serve in our own lives and the kingdoms all around us that seek to distract us. And so may God give us the grace as brothers and sisters together to be the family of the kingdom that serves and longs for his ways. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've been with us.
Thank you that you've been ministering to hearts. Thank you that you are moving in our lives, that you are deepening your love in our hearts. And Lord, you are calling us to even greater levels of devotion and sacrifice. Lord, I thank you you don't do that in any demanding way or in a coercive way. But you come and you just invite us. Why not follow me? Come follow me. Give up what you're living for and follow me and let me use you in your unique ways to display and reveal the kingdom. God, give us grace as we hear your challenge this morning to respond well to you and to love one another well in the process. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.